Hello, no means nerds, no means no thing listeners, whatever the fuck you want to be called this week. Uh, This is the no means nothing, no means no thing podcast. So look, we don't have a regular episode for you today. Uh, The three of us have been off on an adventure together in person for the first time ever. Uh, We may or may not tell you about some of that at some point. I don't fucking know. Uh, But in any event, we have not had time to record. So rather than pull another one of our oh shit, guys, life's crazy, we can't get an episode, bullshit things, uh, all of which has been true in the past, but, you know, uh, we like to throw out the content when we can. Uh, We, fortunately, were sent a very large and wonderful audio file by friend of the podcast, uh, Sean McTierney. Um, I'm sorry, no, it's not. It's Sean McTiernan. Look what a fucking asshole I am. Sorry, Sean. Uh, a prolific podcaster himself. I don't know, maybe prolific's not the word. Excellent podcaster is certainly the word. Uh, you should check out his podcast, SF Ultra, which is out there right now. Um, I certainly am and am enjoying the fuck out of it. Uh, you'll find out by the end of the episode that Sean is very good at this, probably better than we are. So it's a bit of a risk of, uh, in my opinion, putting this out there because, uh, yeah, he does it better than we do. But, you know, fuck that. I figured, hey, this deserves to be out there. So we've got an episode for you today. It's just not us. It's a guest episode, as it were, uh, which we're very thankful to have. So Sean, thank you for this. You guys are going to really enjoy this. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign off and we're going to slip right into Sean's excellent, no means nothing guest episode all to himself. So sit back, pop open whatever kind of drink you got and enjoy. The main problem in the world today is most people are servants. They work for someone. Uh, uh, you don't have to be a servant. You can work for yourself. And you can. And if you have something to offer people, you can give it to them direct. We go and play directly. People give us money directly. They're happy. We're happy. We go off to the next town. That's that's better than we're I very think. lucky in that. Yeah, sense. very lucky. And most Extremely people have to sit lucky. in an office and and serve uh, some anonymous company or government or or whatever kind of bullshit. They have to be the servant of. Uh, Let go. Yeah, it's, I think it's uh, if people want to make a political move in their lives, instead of joining a party or finding an ideology, I think the first thing they should do is quit their job. And that means uh, not working for someone else. Work for yourself. Do what you do well and try to use that to make your way. It's harder. It's much harder. But, I mean, it's so easy to do it the other way because that's the way people who have uh, all these uh, resources, they want to make it easy for you to serve them. But uh, you shouldn't do that. In the long run, you waste your life. I think. Hello. I don't care who I am. I don't think you should either. Um, I'm here to talk about No Means No. This is a podcast about No Means No called No Means No Thing, usually hosted by three experts bringing you through the songs of Canadian power trio. Mm, Let's think about that for a while. We will. Canadian power trio No Means No. Post-punk? Post-hardcore? Um... (laughs) Fence post, let's think about it. Canadian Power Trio, no means no. The podcast is often very rowdy, very ornery, there's a lot of drink taken, but it's still a rigid structure, which kind of fits with no means no, right? No means no is a band where there's a lot of kind of trademark uh, Victoria punk glibness and just lying and uh, jokes and mischief and yo ho honus. But they are very good at playing the right notes at the right time, right? They're extremely technically accomplished musicians. And that, and in a way that it's like, it's not just, you know, Joe Satriani or something. 
they invented the way they're good. Very few bands do that. The Fall did that. The Ramones did that. A third band, preferably from a different era, so I don't sound a hundred fucking years old, did that. But that formal structure undergirds everything. You've got the cement under the bowling alley. Bowling alley? Would that be a particularly anarchic location? Who knows? Anyway, my point is, this podcast is usually that, so it's usually kind of reassuringly structured. You'll notice I'm not one of the hosts, nor am I a very sincere Eastern European person speaking down the phone. So I'm not one of the guest contributors. <laughs> who could I be? Uh, I'm Sean. It doesn't matter, but that's who I am. And I asked, hey, can I record a whole episode of this on my own? And you're probably thinking, what's this guy's question? Was this guy in the band? Well, actually, if you if you looked at a certain poster at a certain time, yes, I was, but that's a different story. But uh, was this guy in the band? Was this guy a recording? No, I'm just, I just like them. They're just good. And, you know, I'm going to add insult to injury here. Um, I wrote the One Week One Band article about them a million years ago. Have I read that? No, I don't want to. And um, I've, yeah, I've talked about them before in different medium. And I was going to listen to everything. I was going to listen to every single song and be like, okay, let's put it together. And then I thought, no, <laughs> right? Let's not do that. Uh, because, first of all, uh, that would mean I'd have to listen to the Jello Biafra album, breaking my hilarious streak of never listening to one of my to my favorite bands, uh, probably one of their most prominent albums overall. Uh, pound off in the comments, but it also I've liked. It's not about me clinically going through this, you know, and being like, this is this, this is this. This is a band that I have liked has been my favorite band since I heard two songs. It's catching up. And then I was like, great. That was on the in a CD on the front of some magazine when I was 15. I recognized the, the band name from being carved on the side of a bookshelf or press or something, maybe a cabinet in my school. Um, I think I eventually talked to the guy who probably did that carving uh, on an old podcast of mine, but I wouldn't listen to that either. Um, and I listened to it and I thought, wow. This is the best thing I've ever heard. Listen to its second song. Um, and the second No Means No song I listened to uh, was Cat, Sex and Nazis because I thought, good title. you know. And I was a keen intellect when I was 15. So I was like, good title. And uh, and eventually, you know, I was like, oh man, seven minute songs where they sampled the residents and Fate No More. Is this band the new Mr. Bunga? Turns out absolutely not. That's not a representative song at all. But they've been my favourite band since then. Listening to my voice, you're probably like, wow, this guy's youthful. This guy is spry. How old must he be? 17 now? Two years he spent with this favourite band? No. Wonderful listener. Thank you for being so kind. But I am 33 years old. A.K.A. 100, a.k.a. the Jizo number, right? I'm 33. Fucking hell. That means my love for No Means No is old enough to walk into a blockbuster video in 1995 and rent Terminator. So, you know, that's a big deal, right? <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> um, but uh, no, who gives a fuck? And everyone who likes No Means No has liked them longer than me, it seems like. Even 15-year-olds... Uh, 
have a more storied understanding than I do. Um, just some of my uh, some of my weird no means no opinions. One is the best no means no album, uh, <laughs> followed by I uh, what what would I say like maybe zero plus two equals one. Then dance of the headless bourgeoisie. What's he talking about? I know mad. I'm talking about this anyway. But um, but yeah, I've liked them a long time. Even though most people have liked them longer than me, but I have thought about them so much in that time that I thought. This podcast, I should, instead of trying to do a science project where I re-listen and I'm like, oh, he says, oh, my leg in a certain way or whatever, uh, or or I count up, you know, I was going to count all of the instances. Here's an example of something I was going to do, right, in my science project that I didn't, by the way. This is, I haven't done my homework, right, because I told Matt who you'll recognize from the podcast, I was like, hey, let me lay this out for you. Just me talking for like ages about No Means No. And he said, sure. That was in January, the the first week of January. I'd just been laid off um, the second time in two years. Don't work for startups, my advice to you. Uh, but it's not that now. It's I record this, right? No jokes. Don't want any comments. I record this on St. Patrick's Day. Um... I'm not celebrating it, uh, but you may notice by my tone of voice that I am from Kilkenny in Ireland. Um, a no means no stronghold. Lots of people like them there. But it, I'm late, right? But one of the homeworks I didn't do was I was going to count up all of the times in no means no lyrics that the word you is said. Uh, I'm going to do some rough back of the uh, cigarette, back of the beer mat, mat. Why not? Why not say beer mat? You know, like, hey, I'm not, I don't really drink anymore, but like, you know, beer mat, like, yeah, it's cool, right? Anyways, back of the beer mat, mat. And I'm going to say, looking at my science here, it's a lot. The, the answer is a lot. Uh, they, the word you is used far more in no means no songs. Like, Prince uses the word you a lot. But it's usually like about how he wants to make it witch or whatever. Is Prince better than No Means No? Yes, but not for me. But yes, in general. Anyway, that seems like a fruitless alley. But there are, there's lots of you and there's lots of addressing people and there's lots of talking directly to people. And I have had the lads, right, for the, the, the lads in various different iterations. Sometimes there's another lad there who also plays drums. They've been talking to me for 18 years and I've been going, hey, good idea. Um, I've been listening to these lyrics for 18 years. And um, so why I thought now, you know, counting all the U's, you know, um, it, you know, something like, you know, the end is nothing and you begin with nothing much. It's like, you know, there are lines where you think, oh, I'm just being called an asshole. It's probably, you know, um, where Rob literally, you know, calls you a dickhead or whatever. But there are lines when you're like, what? Why is everything in like the second person, right? Like even the fact that it's a, it's a second person thing, right? Even the fact that I've been like, it's a three person band and, and there being so much in the second person, no means no as such is like this so much that I sometimes think, is that on purpose? Am I, have I lost my mind or is this another weird 
or if you spoke to Rob, would he say something like, get that guy away from me? Uh, I don't remember why I wrote any of the songs. Um, or, you know, or Andy or John um, or, or Tom, indeed. Um, and uh, oh, I think, apart from Andy, who I would love to meet, I've uh, shaken all of their hands. They they probably remember this. This is probably when they're writing the book about No Means No, which I'm told they've written. I I I I hope to read it one day. I've been I'm on this book buying ban because of structural integrity of my house. But um uh, you know, they when they talk about their career, I'm sure they're like there was this Irish guy and he just seemed so annoying. Anyway, you is use, you know, you broke me but I live. Like and and they're they're, they're stories, right? These songs are all stories, you know, in the same way that like um, I've been listening to a lot of The Fall recently. That's actually where I kind of eh, parallel thinking with this podcast, right? There's a book called You Must Get Them All, which is based on a on a website where a guy picked five fall songs at random and wrote about them until I think he wrote about them all. And then he reformatted that book into a song-by-song history of the band. And... Um, it's really it's really contradictory. Actually, no more so that the both the drummer and the bass player have written books. The the kind of around the time of Hex and Dunction Hour, indeed, one of them is just about that album about the band. They're good, right? They're good books, but one of the things they explore in it is Marky Smith, who's the lead singer of The Fall, and who people say is the kind of oh, The Fall is just Marky Smith and other people. I would urge you to read a book by one of those other people because they contributed a lot too. Um, but they he, they talk about Marky Smith as a storyteller, right? And he's got this, it, it, there's this thing where it's like, oh yeah, he always wanted to write a book, um, I, which is kind of very funny because this, they, they all have some degree of bitterness towards him. They say he didn't have the discipline. Now, I wouldn't accuse No Means No of not having any discipline. You don't tour that much if you don't have any discipline. But... Um, they, you know, the the sense of them as a storyteller, they use always, you know, it usually starts out as a story or whatever, sometimes. Then sometimes there's like, um, you know, the world wouldn't, the world, you know what they say, the world doesn't uh, end in a day. Probably got the lyrics wrong. This is the thing now that uh, I'm going to start getting like um, words wrong because it's just in my head all the time. Uh, the world wasn't built in the day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, there's just this way of conjuring what they, what they use to the word you to really pummel you, right? There's another interesting thing about No Means No. Um, hey, this is just my thing now. I'm just being like, you know, um, uh, there's another interesting thing about No Means No, but there is, is that like people will either talk about the music or the lyrics or sometimes both. If they've like, that's kind of what I, you know, what's good about the podcast is you've got somebody who talks mostly about the lyrics, somebody that talks mostly about the music, and somebody that is content to kind of go between both. Um, that's a very, very accurate of the um, kind of exploration of the band because there are people that treat no means no lyrics like, okay, this is going to be slightly controversial. I know that the median age of this podcast listenership is like 50, right? Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm just, yo, hey, you know, I'm just joking, but uh, also, let's face it. Um, so this might, you know, this might rustle a few jimmies, but 
there's people that treat the lyrics of No Means No like Frank Zappa songs, where they're like, yeah, that's just a guy like talking about farts or whatever, over polyrhythms and they're playing in 7 8 and oh man, the bass. Like, that's one set of people. And there are, then there are freaks like me who are like, you know, you, you know, at my wedding, like, not really, but almost had to be talked out of being like, I picked up a woman in the parking lot of the local Safeway, you know, like had to be, you know, have, have all of these things in my head so much that like, God and death and you, you know, like, it's just, it's, it, it, it has embedded itself into my mind so much that again, you, you appears, you know, um, that even the references, even the fact that like there's this, so there's this phenomenon right among people my age, I know, is where they will so Simpson. You've seen Simpsons references before they had seen the actual show. I'm assuming no young people watch The Simpsons now or whatever, but there's definitely I find people like me that were. I'm about as old as The Simpsons, I think almost literally, and that who grew up with it in the, I don't really believe in the phrase growing up with pop, you'll never hear me say I grew up with No Means No, uh, I grew evil <laughs> because of No Means No, and then I grew better because of those same songs, anyway, um, but they they see the reference before they see the actual, you know, source material. So they're robbed of the joy of seeing, you know, HMS Pinafore for the first time or whatever. Um, and similarly, I couldn't believe the first time I found the origin of Kill Everyone Now. I couldn't believe that there was like a no means no song that referenced something. Never mind Now It's Dark, which is just like... Dave Lynch, Dave Lynch, personal friend, David Lynch worship or whatever. But like, and you know, like David Lynch, obviously like an influence, whatever. But I've listened, I was so serious about this fucking band that, you know, kill everyone out. I was like, is that just parallel thinking? You know, plastic, plastic, plastic. But I couldn't believe that there, they, that there was a song that would make reference to something else. Because to me, Right. Initially, uh, No Means No was a smooth obsidian wall. Not really obsidian. So No Means No is more like, okay, so in Peru, right, they have these walls. Tourists love to take pictures of them. Uh, I know because I, I was one at some stage. And they are constructed out of different size, all these different size kind of bricks. And the thing about them is they all fit together perfectly, so much so unlike these walls in Ireland that you have, they have to like keep people away from that they won't fall over between fields. But these, uh, these walls in Peru, you can't even fit. And I always thought it was very apt considering how profitable <laughs> these walls are. You can't fit a credit card between the gaps in the walls. And initially, for years, no means no felt like that to me. It didn't feel like it was made by, like, so instead of feeling like music made by people, it felt like, in a good way, mental illness, right? So, you know, people are very down on mental illness these days. <laughs> people are like, oh, this mental health. I don't know. I don't believe in mental health. Just joking. Or am I? Uh, but um, who knows? Who cares? But, the, the you know, it's like mental illness where it's a entire context. Now, you might not have the same experience of mental illness than I do, but that's the same as no means no, right? Anyway, so it, it it's like mental illness in that a whole context arrives in your head at once, 
right? And, and or this 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 way, and there are recognizable there are recognizable interrelations between people. There's all, but it's like this thing just appears wholesale. It can come on slowly, but still, it's 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 a you know, it's like a fucking um, what do they call those airstream trailers directly in your fucking brain? You know, like it's like oh god, I'm opening the fucking box and now I'm going to go through all the mash. You know, you're like you're like Charlie Chaplin in um, the one with the gears that everyone always references. For well, cinema expert, but um, you know, I I you think like you just listen to these songs and you think. Even though the the live versions are better, and I have always, I have been very privileged that YouTube started the same year I got into No Means No. So I have always been able to see live footage. I saw them live a bunch of times too. Hey, guess what? Um, I lived in Canada for three months so I could see them live five times. Um, that's that's a reflection on me. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, we can, but, you know, they, they, even though they're, they're them playing live, but the sound of the music, like I played bass at the time and I did recognize the bass was good, but I never tried to play in No Man's Nose. I'm pretty sure. And I never suggested my band sound like them. And I never, and, and I never even, it wouldn't, didn't even strike me as an aspirational thing. Like that would be like saying, hey, one day I want to go out and if I practice really hard, I'll become a Chrysler LeBaron. Now, whatever you think of Chrysler LeBarons, that's not going to happen. And it was the same for me. They didn't feel like a band initially. They felt like a force. It was like discovering, like, you know when you read Borges stories, right? And you're like, this Jorge Luis Borges, right? <laughs> Jorge Luis Borges, wow, this guy. Um, this guy's read a book. Anyway, sorry, what a dickhead. Um, but uh, you read Borges stories and you're like, this was this always existed, right? You know, you read like what is it, Death and the Compass, and you're like, surely like this this expresses an idea. So this always have to a guy didn't sit down and dictate these stories, and he did, you know. Um, and you're like, and it's just because there's such a cosmology of lyrics, right? And and remember, very few, very little, no means no new stuff came out. The two EPs and All Roads Lead to Auschwitz, very little new stuff came out when I was after I was into them. So they had built up all these decades of lyrics and music and ideas coming back in, like the way the bass interacts with the guitar and everything like that. Like I was getting into like, you know, Gang of Four and Big Black and like all those pig fuck bands. But the way Andy uses feedback felt to me, I never thought of other bands, right? When people say like No Means No have like the Stranglers bass sound or how they, 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 you know, they do the Gang of Four guitars, didn't occur to me. I'm sure all of the members would be more than happy to tell you. I mean, they literally have a band where they pretend to be the Eagles, just joking, the Ramones, please, no emails, um, where, they, where they do the Ramones but hockey. So I get it. And, and I think that, you know, I've seen them cover the undertones, which was uh, the first time ever I've experienced National Pride, even though John introduced it as this is a song an Irishman wrote about a Canadian. Um, he also did a big speech at a Hanson Brothers gig about you've got a beer with a castle on it, which it turns out is Smithwick's from Smithwick's, which Americans called Smithwick's um, and Canadians probably called Smithwick's A. But No Means No didn't sound like a band to me. They were like, I didn't think of other bands. I wasn't like, you know, because especially at that age, you're like influence spotting because you want to be like, ha, gotcha, which is a real shame because now that I'm 33, 
every band I hear, I involuntarily go, but that just sounds like this, like any, like fucking, like, you know, people are really excited about Black Midi now. They're like, oh, Black Midi, or like, Font- it just sounds like The Fall, but shit. Like Primus The Fall, no thank you. Which is bad, right? Because a 16-year-old is hearing Black Midi and they're like, amazing, polyrhythms or whatever. I'm Music is not for me anymore. You know, that's why. And that's how music should be. Electrified guitars and choruses and stuff should not be designed for 33-year-olds with bad backs to rock out to. However... That didn't stop me when I was an asshole teenager from also being like, oh, that's just this or that's just this or whatever. But I never, ever identified No Means No as that's just this. You know, when I listened to like Dark Ages, I was just like, I think it was, you know, like the go to sleep bit of Dark Ages. I was like, no music sounds like this. This this doesn't, this, I could feel like, you know, the, the fucking, the, the, the button pushers all work night shifts and the misdemeanors seem so ghastly. Like, I, uh, the media, po- the Eastern comments find out much too late. I always thought that was a funny line because if you read about um, intelligence, uh, the Eastern comrades are way ahead of North America. Anyway, locked in circuits bathed in silicone is one of those lines where you're like, did Don DeLillo say this in a novel? What the fuck? How is this in a song? But you listen to it and you're like, it is the end of the world. Like the day everything became nothing, right? I remember listening to that when I was 15 and I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out what this song means, right? Because, you know, and I was like, okay, it's a story. And like, but it's about, what is it about? You know, you know, and now I'm like, yeah, that, <laughs> that, that, that is if, if, if the world is going to die, it's just people are just going to give up. The day everything became nothing is, is, um, that live version with those dueling guitars. I heard that and I was like, no band can do this. This is not a band. This is somebody receiving the information and beaming the information directly into my frontal lobe, you know, um, it's weird being a Bob, I'll get used to it, I guess I'll fucking have to. It's just, that's a perfect Twilight Zone ending, right? Rob just did that at the end of a fucking song. And the live, saying the word fucking it means totally different. Something to notice, or something I've noticed, is sometimes live versions come a lot a lot more ferocious. Now, that sounds really obvious, right? Of course, they're energised, they're whatever. I think it's because they're often quite mad at something to do with the venue. <laughs> I can see there is a look. First of all, okay, if you watch a lot of No Means No um, YouTube videos, which I assume you do, there is a look Rob gets when he fucks up a note. Now, r- just to be clear, Rob Wright is the greatest bass player of all time. I genuinely believe this. He is my favourite artist ever um tied with ramel z probably for just favorite artist in any medium ever um i'm not going to get a big tattoo of rob i do have a tattoo of ramel z but anyway um but when he fucks up a note or whatever which is fine just to be clear he's playing the greatest bass lines ever written indisputably sorry to I don't know. Sorry, sorry to flee. <laughs> Jaco Pistorius, we, you know, you tried. But when he fucks up a note, right, he gets this real mad face. And I remember, or I don't remember, every time I feel like 
like the TV's mad. Like somewhere between the TV and my parents are mad. It feels like apocalyptic, which is funny because like then he plays all the right. He laughs usually. But yeah, there's this <laughs> there's this ferocity, right, that, that, that comes across in their live stuff. Like, which means stuff like, I'll get, it's weird being a Bob, I'll get used to it, I guess I'll fucking have to. Or again on Live and Cuddly, where uh, somebody's, Andy opens with this big acapella thing and goes, it's the same fucking guy in the middle of it. Um, I ripped off the um, stage banter, by the way, for um, from Live and Cuddly so much when I was young. Um, I used to, yeah, like anything in class, where there was a decision in a group project I'd take a vote and then I'd say too bad this is not a fucking democracy Um, like annoying right this is the thing if you like No Means No when you're a teenager and I was I'm sure people can attest in the No Means No community I was incredibly annoying because I was trying to affect the world weary (laughs) world weary attitudes of an extremely intense you know, 40-year-old Canadian man whose life experience shares very little with mine. And um, and still, you know, I, I, I had to tap into it because to me, it wasn't a band. Even though they're the most definitionally hard-hat lunch-pail band in the world. I saw them in, what, 2006 or something? John, who had been in No Means No at that stage, for almost, let's do the count, like 30 years, maybe? Yeah. Um, Slept in the fucking van. Like, and that's that was not unusual, you know? That was What's New Pussycat. That was every single Tom Jones song you can think of. Uh, But that wasn't, that was normal shit. Like, they're the hardest touring band in the world. They're such a, like, that quote I put at the top about, you know, you work for yourself and you create, because to me, when Rob said that you work for yourself thing, it's not just, he's not Andrew Tate or whatever, you know, he's not like an influencer saying like, if you form your own LLC, you'll be able to know what, what Rob and what No Means No is about, right? If you, I know, I know, right? We're at minute 27. When's he going to tell us what No Means No is about? It's about defining your own context, right? It's about absolutely burning a hole in the fucking universe and saying, that's where I go. It's not the Amagara fault, right? That that meme that people always put up where the guy is like, this is, whole, this is my hole. This is made just for me, right? From that Junji Ito comic. Um, that's what no means no fandom can feel like. It's like, oh, this band exists just for me. But I never felt that, right? I loved it, but I never felt, I felt like I had to, like a bank robber trying to get in to like see the, see the orb, you know, the like pulsating energy orb that is like, no, but like, it's not the Amagara fault. It's not like, you know, this was made just for me. It's like watching a guy stand in front of a mountain and just walk through it and leaving a path of his own silhouette. You know, the three whoever the three members of the band are at the time. It's that level of just focus and determination. And the thing about focus and determination and indeed defining your own context that comes up in that clip is it's often fucking boring. Um, (laughs) Right? But even though all that existed, even though I knew all that, even though I still, even after the first time I saw No Means No, uh, Rob came up to me and said, what's the number of the booter in your country? What's, and I did you see, in Canada, they call the clamper the booter. 
and I was 18 and all I knew was my favourite man in the whole world was really mad and shouting at me and I didn't know what to say and uh, he came up afterwards and he apologised if my van was clamped and I saw an 18 year old who refused to give me the answers I needed I would have simply kicked him in half so I really empathise I don't blame him or I'm not mad but I talk about the mixture that's probably why I get the mixture between the TV and the parent feeling but even though I knew all this still now right I'm old back's fucked you know I'm talking to you through a microphone that I talk to other people on the internet about films and books and shit and people listening and and I have developed my own context right I've I, I've day-glow abortions I am my own god now you know like I've created my own context I still think of no means no as a force as like an a mental state as like a thing because you listen and you listen to like you know they, these recordings and they have the really cold pseudo Martin Hannett recordings of like um you know in like small parts isolated and destroyed where it feels like everything is very separate and then there's like the fall which to me probably wrong it probably is quite dry but still like they kind of you know not the fall sorry that's my favorite song on the album but um zero plus two equals one which feels like fucking room tone the album right feels really like probably it is quite dry and quite wiry but it feels so live right in a way that Day everything became nothing doesn't um across all of that like it's just this force you know and these stories this is the thing like you hear like um you hear something like this story must be told and you're like oh is this a cover of a traditional song or something it's like no this guy sat down to write a rock song and wrote like you know, um, you know, he laughed, he cried, he said, I'd kill myself if I was still alive, reaming her out with a tongue like sand, cursing in a language that nobody understand. There she blows, he turned and he cried, pointing to the centre of an empty sky. This is a band. There's like a chorus and shit in that song. And he's just laying it all out there, man. Like, you know, like it, it's just, and I, I realise I'm talking a lot about Rob, right? This is this is typical. If you have a band with a small number of members, you, you pick your favourite member and you become boring about them. thing about this is, though, the other members of the band are as important, right? And not as important as in like The Fall, where it's like, hey, remember those guys' names. John Wright's the best drummer ever. And like, look, when I call Rob the best drummer ever, somebody's going to be like, what about Trey Spruance? Get a fucking life. But, you know, somebody, you know, you could argue there are technically better bass players or whatever. And you could argue that, oh, lyrics are, you know, Rob's good, but he never wrote 2112 <laughs> for all the for all the Randian objectivists in the audience. Um, but like. You can't deny John Wright plays, playing the drums, right? It's such a privilege to listen to because I would, you know, you you think of a band that is on is around for with with no change in drummer for as as many years as they were, and it, it begs sentences like, "It's great to watch him develop as a drummer," but no, it's not like that. It's like standing in the fucking little gallery. In uh, in the Louvre, not in the Louvre, it's in the other one, Musée Français in Paris. And there was this little room when I was there and it had like 
12 Van Goghs or something in it. And you're like, every time this motherfucker just hit after hit, this kind of, they're different and they're all, you know, like, it's like, oh, you know what it's like, actually, Derek Jarman, right, is this multidisciplinary artist, directed fantastic films and Jubilee, which is a shit film, don't watch it, Toy is in it. Um, he did this amazing, he was an amazing painter, he was an amazing uh, costume designer, he did everything, right? And I went to a gallery show that was like Derek, that was about Derek Jarman, it had every single thing he did in it and simultaneously they were showing, or parallel to this or whatever, they were showing every film he did in the local cinema. So I had this big Der- Derek Jarman bomb of fucking hell, this guy did everything. Getting into No Means No is like that, but the drums where you're like, this guy can do this as well and this and and this also, he's gonna, he's gonna play like Long Days. You see a live video of Long Days and you're like, it looks like it's like watching somebody inter- it's like watching it's like watching pure drumming enter a kaleidoscope and come out of a man's hands just like nothing at all every there's a there's a video that you can definitely find of this story must be to, or not sorry getting mixed up here long days i wasted them you know i wasted them away is a good lyric but when Rob just says, I wasted them, fucked up, right? Really, really, really hit, like, cuts my head off every time. But that song would not work, that bass line would not work if you didn't have the information playing the drums, right? Like, to, like you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. He plays a different phrase every single time. In, in that song, it, it feels like it definitely is. It's a technical like like this is the, the this live version which you can definitely find. Don't be lazy, come on, it's on YouTube, and um, you know it's 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 just ext- like you're watching. You're like how can and then you know you see then you find out with the Hanson brothers and you're like this too. You you can do the you you're the guy who inherited the who picked up the fucking you know picked up the Joey Ramone leather glove from the from the the stone like Excalibur and you can also do this fuck off you're singing at the same time annoying so but it's not just that like the fact he does vocals and the vocals are great I've always thought it was interesting by the way and this comes back to the fact that No Means No was like this impregnable wall and still is right right for me is that um when you listen to this, now I probably can at this stage because I'm weird enough, but I remember somebody else saying this on the forum or whatever, and I think that you can't sometimes tell if it's John or if it's Andy. But when John and Rob sing together, it's like the Leuven brothers, right? They have the they have the harmony that siblings can do and nobody else can do. But there is also this overwhelming Victorianess that they all have this dry like dry aged Canadian sneer that pervades everything. Um, but yeah, it, it's just extraordinary. Like John's, John's playing is so, you know, you can, it's like a clenched fist, right? Like, like it's just like, yeah, like there's all these little moments and everything. And he, he constantly is working. It feels like, it doesn't feel like he's doing like when you hear other solos for for drummers, you're like impressive, cool, that's good. But I feel like Dale Dale Crover kind of has this too, um, where it's like this guy's just like, what can I do to make the sound great? I'll just do some of this, 
and I know what to do. And like, is 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 not is so skilled that it's like he's not even thinking about. It. It's just like, yeah, it makes sense to play incredible thing you've never heard before here for a bit. Oh, this I'll just I'll just hit the bass drum for a while. It's no big deal. Like, and it's that's not. I know that's not how they write songs. Save your letters, right? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> um, like. It's it's uh it's extraordinary, right? And it's the most welcoming part. Like I think his excitement. Andy and Tom's guitar is very um what would you say? Like Andy's Andy especially and Andy on stage and so it's kind of preposterous because Andy's like a very nice man and like even listens. I mean it's not nobody's made it this far. If you've made it this far, right? I I imagine there's like a person who's made it this far. Let strangers on a train. Contact me. I've got a murder I need to commit. I'll do your murder. If there is one person left. But Andy has this sort of like uh what would you say? Like David Cronenberg blank Again, kind of uh, maple leaf sneer. <laughs> no, that, uh, that's... You see, treating Canada like a joke, they're allowed to do it, you're not allowed to do it. It's a complicated thing. Um, but <laughs> but he, it goes with this playing that, again, doesn't feel like a guy channeling, you know, the way, like, say, Steve Albini's guitar. It's a guy slashing around, but he still has, underneath all of that, as he explained with a cover version, he's still kind of doing the ZZ Top thing, right? And he's sort of fucking around with the ZZ Top thing. Gang of Four, just a guy playing funk parts a lot of the time, but with a pedal. And then there's Anthrax, and you know, which is a bit, it was a kind of a noise thing. But Andy feels like because they set the tone of bass and drums so steadily, and anybody who likes to know, any major dude, any major dude will tell you this. Andy and on on no means no sounds feels like the fucking weather, you know. <laughs> like it doesn't feel like like a guitar. It's like it's like again like a force, like a kind of an an oppositional force that changes how the players work, you know, like changes the game, and like just and and his vocals are so different and so like you listen to Rob and Rob sounds like I mean he sounds like Mister Wrong because he is Mister Wrong, but he sounds like um. Like, just okay. So, Rob, I don't know if this makes sense. Rob is a um, Charles Williford. Um, his world, no, Rob is a Richard Stark bad guy. Total clarity, total purpose, total disinterest in your thing. Um, but but knows you completely. Whereas Andy's, when Andy's singing, it's like a Jim Thompson novel where you're like, this guy's fucked up. I can't help. It's getting worse, you know. Um, and like, uh, but but his guitar, Andy's guitar, like, is just like it does. It the weather is the best way I have of describing it. He is his guitar isn't just good; it's inclement, right? You know, like it's not thunderous in the terms of what it sounds like. That's that's what he's doing. And again, right? I can't like I'm saying, I can't compare it to like other guitars. I have to compare it to like how being alive feels because that's what the band is but I do still as special as this seems to me one of the big things about No Means No and definitely something I've bought into my own let's be generous and call it work is that it's a joke you can't be in on right it's a it is to an extent like I always make fun of being told by 
the the former merch guy, uh, that uh, John Chedzi, that I shouldn't interpret lyrics to be autobiographical because Tom, Rob said they weren't um, once. I don't know if you've ever heard how much the word lies comes up in no <laughs> songs and how the idea of truth is mocked and the fact that a guy saying don't interpret these songs is like the thing I would say if somebody tried to, you know, suddenly come up and say, well, this is what this means. If I never wanted to be asked a question in an interview, that's certainly what I'd say. But I make fun of, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, of the fact that we, you know, this this thing, it was it's almost like a conversation ender. You know, it, we never we're never going to know why he says my left leg is numb. I can't feel my tongue. You know, she cheats me. She, she cheats me in, in, in the in the rape, you know, Um all that pain and heartache was just my shoulders pride. Um, we're never going to know what the rape means, you know. Like that, that, that's that's the that's the vibe that sometimes comes across. But there is an element of that. No means no. I think it's really, really important that even though they make you feel like they're there, right? There is that fantastic thing of when you can hear them screaming off mic. My hands down, my favorite thing a band does. Um, it's it's. Again, just because I've been listening to a lot of The Fall, Sparta FC, uh, the Peel version, has this, there's this, well, I think it's on a lot of the versions of it, but they have this vocal that comes in at the end, um, where it is, feels like the, <laughs> feels like the other members of the band trying to get Marky Smith on the right path by singing a different song, but it feels very real. And, and there's a lot of bits on Hex and Dunction Hour where you can hear people like talking in the background and stuff and like setting up and that feeling they have of like where, you know, um, uh, the, <laughs> the I, I'm struggling to describe, I'm, uh, uh, insight into the creative process. I'm trying not to cry um, or try not to tear up at this but the end of I Can't Stop Talking where there's that uh, like euphoric ending and you can hear them shouting it's just it's it's an amazing it, it feels incredible you know the music feels incredible but with the lyrics but with the aesthetic it's a joke you can't be in on and that's really really that's a particular type of antagonism, especially when you fill a song with so many songs addressed to you. Now I know he's he's a character and all he's a character. I know he's a character and all. I'm a character right now. Do you think I actually sound like this? In reality, I speak with a thick Jamaican accent. Everybody puts a character on, right? Um, but for everything. This is this is the thing. This is the thing about knowing no. I can't understand the world without filtering to it. So I just told you everyone is lying all the time. You know, like No Means No songs. That's probably weird. But a band with this much unit, this much is is pointing the finger. And and that this is the thing when it brings you in when there's a song like I Need You, it's completely destabilizing because you're like, this is too much and it's still directed at me. You know, it's still but it's not directed at me, me, you know, me, me. Uh, but but uh, it's very hard to explain. But they're both every, I mean, this is the other important, I was about to say, playing in like no one else to the fucking no means no thing. I was about to sincerely say to you, they're everything and nothing. Because two guys in a band called Right would release an album called Wrong and it's 
such an obvious pun no one ever says it it reminds me when I was in school and I had a teacher called Miss Gay and that's such a open goal that uh, for the homophobic 2000 where like I think homophobia they were like inventing new kinds of homophobia every couple of weeks in the 2000s that even none of the complete asshole kids I went to school with ever made jokes about it because having a teacher called Miss Gay I mean there's not a lot of place you can go you know one guy um uh, once called her Miss Homosexual, inventive if nothing else. But, you know, two rights making a wrong is, <laughs> that's, that's fucked up, right? That they put that in. Like, and, 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 you know, it's, 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 <laughs> it's so fucking funny. But all that, that thing about Rob and that thing about the band and the thing about, well, in this song, the in this band, the bass is the lead, um, uh, and the guitar provides the background and the drums are playing every possible drum iteration at once somehow also tastefully you know um, and it, it's just again it's a force right it's this self-contradictory thing like all these lyrics all of his, the lyrics and all of the way the songs are presented and even the albums they wind around each other and they coil around you it's such they lend themselves so much to exhaustive listening that I remember again when I was like 15 and I'd been into them for like you know six weeks or something which at the time was you know feels like a major artistic period you know for being a 15 year old um and I remember a guy I was in a band with being like oh you don't want to wear them out you know you don't want to just keep listening to them till you're sick of them like Poppins to the Pigs. I don't know if you've ever listened to the Pixies a lot, but, or the Smiths, but fucking hell, those are bands you can burn out on fast. <laughs> you know, suddenly you're knee deep in fucking Morrissey solo albums where he's like just being racist over umpa music, and you're like, I guess this is good. <laughs> anyway, um, but you you know you burn out on bands. It's totally natural. You can't listen to Unwound forever. That's that's nor that's no skin off Unwound's nose. You can still buy the box set, but. I haven't worn No Man's No Out yet, you know. I still, and, and I still get, I still get moments. I still, I mean, I went years preferring the later stuff to the early stuff, which is, if you say that to some nerds, they go absolutely do-lally, right? They go apeshit bonkers because you're like, what do you mean you don't like the old, it's not that I didn't like, I, I just preferred the new stuff. And then on a visit to Canada, um, albeit, fittingly the wrong side of Canada um, a few years ago maybe like five or six years ago for for reasons I still don't understand I put on Mama which I had barely listened to even then even after 10 years of loving the band and I was like holy shit this album is incredible and then I spent like months listening to Rich Guns and I had heard Rich Guns. I had seen them play Rich Guns live on YouTube in the very funny video where, like, uh, John is dressed like he's going to church um, and Rob is, like, a really helium high voice or whatever because uh, he was only 29 at the time or whatever. Um, but, uh, incidentally, that's one of those videos where you watch and you're, like, the earliest stuff possible. But, you know, virtuous also musicians. What are they like? Oh, John is apparently as good what <laughs> very confusing but i had heard those songs before and then i just heard everything they have is yours las putas 
We just want to stay in our stately homes. The chairs on which we sit are made of human bones. That is late Harold Pinter, right? And I heard that and I was like, I'm I'm the biggest fan of this band in the world. I'm not. I bet you some 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 guy in fucking uh, Oh Mimi or whatever. Some guy. I was. I really, really wanted to say a funny Canadian town there. I was. I was dying to say something funny, and I can't remember what's the name of the fucking band named after the small Canadian town. Oh, near Vancouver. Uh, I never remembered. Anyway, desperately want to say that some guy there is. Or actually, no. Sorry, it's no means no. So it's some guy in Poland. Is is there is there uh, is the, the the real big fan? What an awesome thing, by the way! Really, really good for me because um, I hate people talking during gigs, but I liked No Means I loved No Means No, and we saw them in Ireland in the late two thousands um, and early twenty tens when there was well, not well, sorry, mid two thousands kind of around, but there was a lot of um, building in Ireland and a lot of Eastern European guys came over to work on the buildings so you went to see No Means No in Dublin and instead of a load of dickheads that wanted to talk through everything like most gigs I went to it was like 65% ultra serious Polish people who were there to see the fucking band and had a bit of respect and I was like this is these guys are as serious as I am and we were all there singing the later songs to the absolute dismay of people that just wanted to hear it's catching up or what such a cool group seriously and and as well i don't know i think irish people are a bit like sly about this like oh i only ever got insults from my, I, I don't know why i've turned into like fucking mr head measurer oh this country's like that. i'm doing crowd work halfway through the fucking thing oh this can't be halfway come on please i know but um <laughs> like I have been stopped by more guys with like, you know, like Eastern European accents being like, no means no, great t-shirt, really intense, great t-shirt, um, just just great. But, you know, this, 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 the thing about them is that they surface all the time for me. I'm never going to, you know what it's like to never have a band that wears out, you know, and, and I mean, I can do this now. I was going to listen to all the songs and have all different facts and I, I will read you the notes that I have, there are three notes that I made when I first wanted to do this project. The first note is, this is a song about the history of the world. I do not note the song. And you know what? Can you think of a no means no song? You couldn't plausibly say, this is about the history of the world. That's why they're fucking no means no. Big dick. I get your point. But still, you know... (laughs) Like, um, uh, like when I speak, the words I repeat are lost among this roaring, right? You know, like that's the thing, right? If you want to take the lyrics real seriously, you're like, that's a great song about depression. But if you think about, you know, like I would say if you give my life, you're the you in the song, right? It, the, like the, the river, I listened to it for years and I was like, this is about me being depressed, Ah, you know, usual depressed guy shit. Um, but now that I've I'm older, and I've had these things called feelings for a while, I developed through sheer force of will and a lot of downtime a little bit of empathy 
I'm like, oh, this isn't like, this is about someone else. And do you know what it's like to write a sad rock song? Like, sure, okay, I'm going to have to modify that a little because the first thing that came into my head was like, well, Cats in the Cradle is a song or a sad rock song about someone else. Why are you going to give a big fucking emotion? No, um, I'm the same I'm the same as you, son. Uh, I want to be just like you. But uh, no, that's me singing the Jungle Book. Anyway, it's not, you know what it's like to write a sad rock song that eventually reveals itself. That is so viscerally you can feel like people listen to the river and they just become overwhelmed by it. You know, like they just, bec- like it's, it's a big song for a lot of people. I know Jordan on the podcast say like, the, like the desperation because really why that song, why I think why people feel that song so profoundly is because it's vulnerability. And you have the character who is the narrator of all of the No Means No songs, no matter who's singing, there there is the there is the character being played, but behind that there is the narrator, right? Um, it's a theory I've um, developed uh, from my fall studies. Is that like the character, the the narrator, the force of No Means No affects these different characters and these different faces, but there's still that's the energy, right? Like, and it's showing. It's displaying vulnerability very, very... And, like, look, the two drummers, this is the thing. This is why it's interesting that No Means No has lyrics people and music people. Because really, and I know I'm arguing for my interpretation here, but really the whole thing fits together. And even though it's, like, you know, I was about to do like mean slap bass. That's not how Rob plays the bass. But even though it it's like mechanical enough and precise enough and interlocking, you know, in, in, intermezzos or whatever paradiddles and all that shit. Um, even though like it's it's finely tuned that you could call it mechanics. You could, and for years my explanation of no means no was like the machinery, right? But what happens when you walk when you like leave um when you like zoom out from machinery like you see you see a tank and a tank is a symbol right you see a factory or something like so no means no is that right it's a force it's an idea and the music swells so much like listen to the jungle they don't have another song like the fucking jungle it's this weird peaceful sci-fi song just out of nowhere very beautiful and just as a matter of course you know at the end of it they explain the band this is the other thing about no means no is that it's kind of this level of control in in how the songs defy your expectations and don't defy your expectations how they twist around you there is an element of control that like Plenty of bands have recorded their I'm Sick of Touring song. If this tour doesn't kill you, I will. By Pop, fellow Canadian power trio. There's definitely four people in Pop and I've fucked up now. Yeah, there is. There's four people in Pop. Anyway, plenty of people have recorded their fuck touring song. Now, I'm given to understand these lyrics could mean anything, but Isolated and Destroyed is not just about touring. It's about existing in the punk ecosystem as somebody who has taken the origins of punk and interpreted them very differently from a lot of people they met and is doing something parallel 
to the original punk attitude and using the same venues and playing with the same people sometimes, but is not that, you know, like, um, like, 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 it's just so, like, it's an escape from context, right? Because because so many No Means No songs are about setting and controlling context. And like, the jungle, the bass is the love I feel in my heart. The guitar you see is my learning tree. The drums, the drums are the drums. Come on, man. The drums are the sound that you heard from the start. They're the tool of the trade, the craft, and the art. I've been listening to No Means No again long enough that my listening to No Means No could rent Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a blockbuster in 1997. And I haven't come up with a better description of the band than the bass is the love I feel in my heart. The guitar you see is my learning tree. The drums are the sound that you heard from the start. They're the tools of the trade, of the craft, of the art. But when will I sail across the seas and what message will I f- will fly on the wind to me? What will I see in the smoke and sparks? When and when will I play my part in the jungle? So the first half of that has, I've always said, oh, that's the best description of No Means No. Maybe the second half is, though. Maybe this yearning, maybe this idea of a secret world under the world and all of this and this force out there, right, this musical force and this endlessly touring, endlessly present, very funny, making your dad jokes when they play live force is out there. And you can't, the important thing is you can't fully understand it. You can strive so much, but it's not asking your permission. No means no, the, the, the idea. Not asking your permission, and it's not asking for, it's not welcoming you in. It's not running a fucking fan club for itself. It's, it's purposely alienating. People hate that. I love it. Uh, and, and again, I feel like I poured this band into my brain at a very specific time. And look, I understand that there's a guy who heard, you know, level 42 when he was 15 and he's giving this speech on the Mark King podcast. I get that I'm not, that everybody likes the music they like when they were 15, especially when they're 33 and unemployed and being like, oh, I'm just, I'll stick on one and actually get jealous of the guy in graveyard shift because he's got a fucking job (laughs) um like who would sing a song about how not not how great it is to be a janitor because there's security or or a security person or whatever the character in and i'm sure there's a fucking theory that it's a dracula i support you if that's your theory seriously i do i i i i i'm fine one being my favorite album though graveyard shift maybe graveyard shift is is the song I'm describing is this is a song about the history of the world, you know, um, because like I did say, actually, you know what? I've just looked up because I, I decided because it's no means no, I'd read my, the last of my notes first. I've just looked up and in fact, the middle note, the C, if you like, is about graveyard shift. Let's see what the note says. The reason music critics say that Martin Hannett, so Martin Hannett, I referenced him earlier, is the producer of Joy Division and Magazine and a lot of these things. And his big thing was mixing um, rather than kind of, he would record kind of very live and then mix things and kind of creating big in post-production. So like not very, not very no means no really, apart from obviously God, Sex and Nazis. Um, Boy, did they call me Mr. Happy, the album. But uh 
which contains my favorite song, by the way, my favorite, well, my favorite song by definition, uh, Madison Death. Um, especially that's, that's a great thing about No Means No, by the way, just before we get to the graveyard shift thing, that No Means No played Madison Death until they got it right. Right now, Ghosts is another famous one, and they've changed Ghosts a lot. Um, what is it time to, to being about time? Which is a shame because I think my favorite lyric of anything in the whole world. Let's do the favorites and get them out of the way. My favorite lyric is in the whole world is um, "There is no castle without ghosts. The long climb into thin air. Um, nobody passes the test of time. Like there, that's that's in a fucking rocks." Guys got, they sound checked and played that, and then guys got up afterwards and was like, "This is Winona's Big Brown Beaver." That's the context that happened in. Anyway, graveyard shift. Martin Hannett. Why Martin Hannett was a genius, or what Tony Wilson, who I, another big figure in my life of coming up with a ways of being a complete wanker, who will talk for an hour uninterrupted about a band, and again, if you're listening right now, it really is just the two of us, and I think. Like, you know, I think we could, what, what are we going to do? do? Should we go to each other's weddings? I'm already married, so I didn't invite you to mine. But I assume if the one person who's left listening right now, if you want me to come to yours, pay for the flights, I'll come. You know, I'll I'll attend a bris. I'll do whatever. You know, I think if you've made it this far, well done. But um, the, the reason Martin Hannett was a genius, the thing that Tony Wilson said, is that he got one of the first delay circuits, not even pedals, I think, in production and if you got an effect certainly if i got an effect and i turned it all the, i would turn it all the way up i'd be like how where's 11 on this thing right guys given the fucking big two thumbs spinal top time but what martin hannah did was turn it all the way down so and it gave that kind of watery graveyard feeling to that no means no album that's the t-shirt now with <laughs> about tacos or whatever that everybody likes and he heard that when it was not possible for any other human being to hear that. And that's pretty cool. Um, that restraint is what Graveyard Shift feels like. It's what all of one feels like. My favorite No One's No Song. Uh, there is explosions of, but it's almost, they treat technique and they treat musicianship in it like like percussion itself or like kind of, like theatrically. Like a again, like a force rather than a kind of a, the the way the loping kind of bass lines and the like. I would say again another Marky Smith quote. You can tell him the fall is really getting to me. It really actually opened a new way of thinking about no means no to me. So why not? Marky Smith said, and I think this explains. This is my one line review of one the album. It's not repetition. It's discipline. That's it. I don't need to say anything more. Well, I'll, I'll amend that slightly. It's not repetition. It's discipline. They really shouldn't have done the beat on the Brack cover. Look, I'll put up my hands. It, it, you know, I would say even ethically, you can't have a favourite album of all time if you don't hate one of the songs. That's not how life works. Oh, you like every song in an album? Fucking, well, you live in a cartoon? Anyway, that that is, it, I would think that the, and the Graveyard Shift, if you take the restraint that in that song, Graveyard Shift, there is this writer called Eugene Martin, who writes with the same kind of restraint. And I often think of the lyrics, uh, the, the way the lyrics get pared down and like made mysterious in later No Means No is like Gordon Lish editing, right? So Gordon Lish is this 
famous literary editor who edited all these people, most famously Raymond Carver, and he would like do things like cut out whole paragraphs, cut sentences in half, take a sentence in the middle of the story and put it at the end. He was really, really, really a creative participant. His own writing is impenetrable, I find. Now, in a good way, um, I was about to say nobody likes to be penetrated. That's wrong, demonstrably so. But in a... <laughs> In a good way, um, his his writing is very very difficult. I've, it's like Gertrude Stein, where you're like, yeah, I mean, it's good that this exists because somewhere out there somebody has understood this and is doing something interesting with it. There's no hope for me, but Gordon Lish, and and it, that kind of feeling of taking a story and turning it into a beam of energy that burns and that enlightens. Right? Okay, like that's the thing that. No means no lyrics do later, no means no lyrics. And I think Graveyard Shift um, is like Eugene Martin in that it's really pared down and Eugene Martin was edited by Gordon Lish. Um, and the third note I have is about what we've talked about already, which is the screaming in the studio background. And it reminded me of Missy Elliott because when I was getting into music first, um, oh so long ago, uh, Missy Elliott and Timbaland which was very complicated drums, lots of weird mouth noises, and twisting kind of recognisable pop structures and what you wouldn't expect. And that was like mainstream pop music. And that's just no means no, right? Like that, like there are a lot of things in common between no means, and I and I know that again, the median age here, where are we talking, like 75 people listening to this? No offence, guys, I'm old too now, you know? I'm, a, I'm, I'm past 30, so music is no longer for me. I'm one of you, but I'm just saying liking Missy Elliott a lot was a great setup for liking No Means No. Have you heard a more No Means No choice in a pop song than the baby Timbaland put in that Aaliyah song? That is such a No Means No choice, and I really appreciate that. And again, that idea of a joke that it didn't get and that commonality I felt with... You know, I, I said it wasn't influenced by me. I, I realised the Missy Elliott thing two years ago because I eventually started thinking, what do No Means No songs sound like? You know, like, and, and I really have to, it really strikes me when I hear it out of context. Like, that baby was one of the few times I heard someone else make a, make a John Wright decision or make an, make a, you know, make an Andy Kerr or make a Tom Holliston choice, you know. Um, like, Tom, like, for somebody... It's such Tom's choices are so extraordinary in that they come out kind of it's it's such a weird choice to bring again you're replacing the weather with a guy who can kind of imitate not imitate who can embody any genre at all and who's who can do including Andy right who can do all that but whose playing is totally different and really really like it's almost like Tom, I know his albums are, you know, kind of goes for humor a lot, but it's, it's almost like hearing a guy whose natural instinct is tasteful musicianship and who's, who's chosen as, as almost as a vocation, who chose to be in a band where it was like, we're doing something a little bit different here. It's hard. It, but it, it, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard. It's not hard. It's complicated what we're doing, you know, like, not like that. You know what I mean? Um, it's like, you know, um, uh, Ford Pier, the music is like that too, where it's like, this guy could, 
write 10 power pop songs every two months and put them out and be guided by voices but instead he's like what if this was in 1712 and i was both the year and the time signature and i was screaming so yeah um tom just yeah it's amazing 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 um the the choice and and like the guitar the guitar on on one it's just like it's so tasteful it's 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 so on the verge of breaking and snapping just like every narrator in that album have you heard lyrics on a rock album more beautiful than comrade are those tears i see like stars above the zouder z i haven't that's in a fucking song by a band that again they got off stage and fucking you know uh again i'm trying to think of the most innocuous big band you know oh I, I don't want to insult anybody. This is this is it. I'm old now. I would have just said, I would have just picked everyone's favourite band and said they got up afterwards and were like, you know, um, hey, you know, but I don't want to insult anyone. I'm too old. I'm too old. I like all the, their contemporary bands, you know, like where I'm just like, um, apart from Merge Overkill or shit. Um, they wouldn't really be annoyed <laughs> contemporary. I'm just thinking about the early night now. Now I'm just like, oh man, remember Fugazi. Anyway, um, but that sense of alienation carried, and and that sense that it's a no means no is a joke you're not in on. I think I've said this before. I don't know if it's like a joke you're not in on, and that's what's fascinating about it, right? Like that's what these songs, like these songs, especially you know when you're young, like I was, as I keep saying, when I first got into them, and even in my early twenties, when I was like, what if I was a person? Um, after I was involved really in the No Means No community, I literally sat down and was like, I have to make myself into a human being. That's why I find it so weird talking about it because it feels like someone else trying to understand a thing that's designed not to be understood. That's, And I'm talking about that, which is a very No Means No feeling. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been talking directly to you the whole time, which is also a No Means No feeling. Doing my best here. But right at the end of the career the last time i saw them the 25th birthday fortuitous was in london so already i was surrounded by the worst people on planet earth uh, my apologies just you know england steer clear my my, my advice um a little bit of history there with my people and their people anyway um look i'm a quarter english i can say that it's all let's just pretend if there's any english people listening although there is nobody listening that's right i can say whatever i want fuck england um you know there was a kind of the usual, and it's it's a fairly you know like um, sensibly aged crowd, you know like, and there's a few like punk people there and stuff. Um, there's always a few mohawks. I don't know how spiky lads are still into no means no when they literally have a song being like, "Don't have a mohawk," <laughs> doesn't doesn't help. Came too late, lads. But uh, anyway, spiky punks, cross punks. Um, other people who eventually became graphic designers as well. Uh, they were all there. And as well as that, older gig men. You know, guys who, like, the next week would be going to see um, Talk Talk or something. You know, like, gig gig guys. You know, fucking lads who were there. And they're like, great, Mud Honey are going to play. And then I'm going to see fucking Bell and Sebastian. Giggers. Gig men. They were there too. Which is fine. Um, you kind of expect to see them at gigs. <laughs> What the fuck am I talking about? Anyway, Rob comes out to a, like, dubstep back and track and sings The River. Now, 
you probably saw this because you probably saw them on tour statistically everybody who's listening to this and again as I keep saying I'm the only person listening to this so I know for a fact everyone who's listening to this has seen this live and there are videos of it and stuff but the fucking vibe in the room like somebody laughed (laughs) somebody looked completely uncomfortable there was a very very strange atmosphere when Rob came out and sang over dubstep the song that people are like, this is the song that means the most to me. I think the river was, like, I'm sure what happened was the stems were picked by the guy who made the song. Whatever. I, guess what? I can interpret it whatever way I want. What I saw was a, a band, and then they played along with it, which I think was really important. They played over it, like, Tom did a really, really good guitar improvisation over it. John, obviously, it was a piece of music, so John Wright made the best series of decisions along with Tom anyone could make. But uh, improvising with a dubstep track, which is really difficult because that's not what they're made to do. But I saw a guy at the end of his career when they were, and they were in the, the, the those last tours, they did, you know, they, they encored with Ramon songs, which if you want to leave people happy, I thought that was the best choice ever. It's like, yeah, we could play a few more. What if we just played some Ramon? Perfect, right? Perfect. Clone the Ramones the last time around. Why not? But all, like at the very last hurdle, throwing in a piece of experimentation that stark and being like, you don't fucking know me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not limited. Like you need to question yourself once again. You know, and maybe that's because I spend a lot of time listening to that kind of music and stuff. And maybe, and maybe, but there was such a, and and he was doing a completely genuine and very nice. Like Rob, in fact, if you look at live videos, it's like somebody's dad has gotten up to sing at a wedding or make a speech at a wedding. Um, very genial. It wasn't very confrontational. It wasn't like, you know, when you see Oxbow and that guy comes out of the audience and beats people up or whatever. But but like it's like, guess what? No means no is whatever we want it to be. And you still can't we're not like then look at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance dressed as Mr. Wrong piano acoustic guitar that's a band that's like whatever box you have we're flattening it and we're turning it into a sign and we're writing fuck you on it not in a, not in a mean way but it's a band that doesn't want to be boxed in doesn't want to be defined and the whole band is about the whole songs the whole the album art everything is about as, as, you know, a statement that can't make sense, right? It's a, it's a statement that can't resolve itself. And I don't want to go into the whole, the more spiritual aspects of no means no sense. Smarter people on this podcast than me, you know, have, 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 uh, have gone into that, you know, uh, and, you know, like the idea of duality and, the, and, and where Rob is taking these lyrics from. Because that's the thing, right? I said, like, I couldn't believe when Kill Anyone, Kill Everyone Now was influenced by um was you know had had a, had took a quote from a John Waters film I, I couldn't believe it you know um but Rob is taking these lyrics from some like because that's the element of folk song and no means no that's why I said you know when you listen to uh, the story must be told and you're like is this song 400 years old is there a guy like is it did did is there a shipwreck with the original lyrics to this somewhere in uh you know out in the water um where these guys grew up like 
when he interpolates different songs all around the world, people dancing in the street, you know, that sounds so different when he sings it that you're like, what, you know? And um, and even We Care A Lot on fucking Cat Sex and Nazis. I, I hadn't heard We Care A Lot. I'd heard Mr. Bungle. I'd heard Fight No More. I heard, I think if you were like 13 or 14 and into alternative music um, in, the, in the 2000s, you had to have like a very nuanced annoying Mike Patton opinion but I hadn't heard We Care A Lot you know um, or the Residence thing or, or even you know on any cover they did Would We Be Alive um, you know it's funny both Primus who I've made fun of several times in the show and they, they covered the Residence and I listened to Residence and they're fine but I think it's one of those things where people who are inspired by them are, are more than that but like yeah hearing those those references and stuff it's like and as it goes on you know, like All Road Lisa Ausfart, which was not the most popular album, I don't think, with uh, with some of the fans. I, I said this before. I said something wasn't popular. And again, this is, you know, shit from 12 years ago. People were like, what do you mean? Everybody loves to be on the Brat cover. What the fuck are you talking about? Nobody should like that cover. But like, you listen to Till I Die and you're like, is this a Stompin' Tom Connors song? You know, they, and, and that that's just in them to play that uh heaven is the dust between my you know toes is a a song i wouldn't excuse from anyone else but what what's the one in in i'm, I'm trying to think like yeah like i see a mansion in the sky is um so strange because it takes in those you know it takes the nursery rhymes and it twists them around and stuff but i'll turn to the corpse of god and cry i see a mansion in the sky it's like the Voynich manuscript or something it's like this this unearthed tablet um that still is really like no matter how much folk there is or how much you know kind of comedy there is in the song it still feels like a guy getting a little bit too close to you when you're trying to buy um a takeaway and saying shit you don't want to think about you know and it's like yeah it's like trying to get into the mind of someone you never want to meet. And there is as much beauty in there as there is violence. And that's something you have to deal with. The idea that every single person you meet is no means no, in a way, right? Like, it's everyone as well as being no one. Uh, my name is Sean. That's how much I like no means no. And uh, if you want to support, I want to listen. You don't have to support, you don't have to. So I do a show called SF Ultra, right, which is like I read a science fiction book every two weeks. I don't like science fiction, but I don't I'm not reading the books to make fun of them. I think that's a mistake uh, impression I've given people, but I'm trying to get into science fiction. So I read a science fiction book every two weeks and I talk about it. We we I say we, it's just me. It's like this. I've just started um and if you want to listen to it, all of the links are on patreon.com/sfultra. If you want to back the podcast, um, you get a different show as well called Perfect Taste Forever that comes out every week. SF Ultra does not come out. So if you want to turn it into a weekly podcast, you know, you're getting one company's content a week, back it. There's only one tier to back it. And, SF, and Perfect Taste Forever is just about whatever I care about this week and will, will sound a lot like this. Now, I know I'm saying this to no one, but 
I feel like I just got this microphone recently and it was nice to talk into it. Thank you very much. If you're here, if by some mistake, if you've left it on because your dog needed to hear a human voice when you've gone out to the shops or whatever, and you happen to hear it coming back in, thank you so much for listening. And thank you to everyone involved for giving me the time to talk. And um, yeah, that's it. Uh, Listen more to the greatest band in the world. I think you'll enjoy it.